Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. When someone says you've been set free, if they don't recognize that there's the sentence on their life without Christ, it's meaningless. And this is probably most of the people that I come across when I'm sharing Christ or I'm talking to them. This is the big hang-up. And this is the big question that Paul's addressing. He's addressing this idea of, I'm good. I'm a good person. Right? I'm a good person. It's this idea that I am good. How many of you have ever talked to somebody about Jesus and they're like, well, I'm good. Or sometimes I'll even look at you and say, well, how could God condemn that person? Because that person is better than me and he's better than you. Have you ever met somebody that by our standards, they're better than you are? Okay, this is where all the guilty people raise their hand. Yes, everyone's better than me. Right? It's, we have this comparison thing going on. And a lot of cultural capital has been spent in telling us as a society that we are okay. You are good. Don't let anybody tell you you're not any good. This is where we spent our cultural capital. And, but as it relates to our spirituality and to following God, we need to be very careful Because if I feel that I am okay, that I don't need God, it becomes justification for the rejection of God. And that's where a lot of people sit. And even for a lot of us, before we came to Christ, this is where we have sat. I am good. I have no need of a Savior. I have no need of saving. I have no need of being rescued. So before we move forward, I think it's important for us to identify three key truths, okay? Three key truths. This is the drop the mic stuff or whatever you want to call it. But there's three key truths. And the first big truth that I think is important for us to recognize is that there is no one good except God. Scripture tells us this, and this was even Jesus' response. There is no one good except God. See, none of us, myself included, and every sermon that I prepare, I preach it to myself several times first, okay? So I'm preaching to myself today. None of us are good. None of us are good enough. See, God, he made us good. Humanity was made in the image of God. It's the, it's the imago dei. The Bible even says that we are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for his good works. So if you want to see a masterpiece today, you can go downtown to the Seattle Arts Museum or you can look at the person next to you. Go ahead and do that. And this is your chance to say, you are a masterpiece. They might buy you lunch today. And you're speaking truth, okay? All right. You're having fun with that. See, our goodness is only in God. We started off this way, but we get confused because we try to rate our goodness by comparing ourselves to each other. But here's what we need to keep in mind. As it relates to goodness, the way the Bible talks about it, and as it relates to these spiritual things, I am not the bar. If I were the bar for goodness, you could jump over it. And the older I get, the easier it's going to be for you to jump over that bar. But I am not the bar in that. I am not the comparison. And that's the the way the conversation goes so many times. Because, see, I'm not the bar. God is the bar. We were made in his image. If I think that I'm good enough, I have not experienced God. Because God loves me, and he's there for me, and he's not condemning me. But when I meet God, I realize how much I need him. When I experience God, someone has said, well, church is so boring. I'm like, well, then you have not experienced Jesus Christ. Because no one ever walked away from God saying that was boring. 
When you look at people who really experienced God and they walked in God, they were changed forever. Even if they went in rebellion, it was not a boring experience. It was a life-changing experience for them. This is who God is. But the problem is, is that everyone has rejected God. This is a challenge for many, and I've even had people ask, and even this past week in just talking with people, I've had people ask me, you know, I've not rejected God. How have I rejected God? See, the Bible says that everyone has rejected God because, first of all, God has revealed himself to us. Romans 1 says that they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them, they being everybody. Who are they? Everybody. Okay. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. And through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. So as we deal with the rejection of God, we need to understand that everyone's, there's a revelation of God, that there is a God out there. And we have rejected him. And you say, well, how have I rejected God? I think sometimes we think of rejection as being a formal, I reject you. But do you know what the highest level of rejecting somebody is? It's ignoring them. Maybe you have my listening guide. It's ignoring them, isn't it? Have you ever felt ignored? How did that feel? You go to this party, you go to this gathering, you walk in, no one says hello to you. No one invites you in. They totally ignore you. You line up to be picked for a team and nobody picks you. That's a level of rejection. Nobody may have said, I reject you, but ignoring somebody is the highest form of rejection. It says that I will not even acknowledge you. See, if someone walks in the room, we need to acknowledge them. And as it relates to God, God, he made us. He made the room, and he has walked in our room, our lives to meet us. And for many of us, for all of us, we've all been guilty of rejecting him, of ignoring him. But here's the gospel right here. See, the gospel says that instead of God getting mad and seeking revenge, how many of that would be your thing? When I get the power, buddy, you watch out. (laughs) See, God didn't get angry. God didn't seek revenge. It was while we were still sinners, while we were ignoring him, rejecting him, he sent his son to die for us. This is the gospel. Because he loved us. The gospel is that God made me. I rejected him, but because God loved me so much, all of us, he sent his son to die for us. So now I have another chance. I have an opportunity to receive Christ. And when I receive him, his spirit fills me, it changes me, it regenerates me, and I become a child of God with all the perks of the king. Amen? Do we recognize that? That's the gospel. God made me. I rejected him, whether I ignored him or I said, I reject you. Whatever level of of rejection it is, we've rejected God. But he didn't get mad. He sent his son to die for us to explain what it means to be a follower. And then as we receive him, confessing our sin, his spirit fills us and changes us and empowers us to be Christ's followers. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And I think one of the other big truths that we talk about 
that we need to know today is that as it relates to condemnation, when Paul says there's no condemnation, the source of that condemnation, what has started all that, it is not God or the body of Christ, the church. And sometimes we've gotten this bad rap for being, it's all a bunch of people that, that they're just out there, they're condemning you and they're trying to do all this bad stuff, they're trying to ruin your life. Have you ever heard that before? You know, I heard someone say, once they invited someone to church and they, they said, you know, if I want to feel that bad about myself, church is just going to make it worse. See, the church, the body of Christ, is not the source of condemnation. Do you know who your accuser is? Satan is your accuser. And what he does is he tempts you into sin and then he accuses you of what you've done to destroy you and to pull you into his trap. And he brings that sin to God saying, look at that person, look what they've done. But Satan's forgotten that God is not just our judge, he's also provided an advocate for us. It was Jesus. See, this is the framework that we need to understand. John 3 says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God is on a rescue plan. And one of the things that I think confused people about who Jesus was is that when Jesus showed up, they were expecting this judge to come in to judge people and to destroy him. Jesus, here are all my enemies. Take care of them right now. But they were confused because instead of acting like a courtroom, Jesus behaved like a hospital room. Do you hear that? Jesus behaved more like a hospital than a courtroom, and it confused people. Now, are, are we held accountable? Yes, but Jesus is saying, let me restore you. Let me walk in you. See, when we are at our very worst, when we are sick, and eat, whether we understand what it is or whatever, we run to the hospital, don't we? We run to the urgent care because we know whether we know what's going on or whether we don't know what's going on. We know there are people there that they're trained to know what to do. And you can get some help there for whatever it is. Whether you knew that you broke your leg or whether you're in a lot of pain and you just don't know why. If I go to the hospital, they're trained and they're ready. And that is our job that the Holy Spirit is empowering us to do as a body of Christ. That when people are hurting, they come to us because they know they're going to get help. They know they're going to find a way out. People back when Jesus walked on this earth as a human in human body, the worse they were feeling, the more they were attracted to Jesus. They couldn't wait to get to him because if they were sick, they knew they would be healed. If they were lonely, they would find a friend that was stuck closer than any brother. This is the body of Christ as we go forward because now he is in us through his Holy Spirit empowering us. This is the work that Jesus has for us. This is our mission, not to condemn, but to redeem. When a child comes to you and they've done something wrong, do you make them feel worse and worse and worse about what they've done? No, you look at them and you say, yeah, that was wrong, you shouldn't do it again, but you try to pull them out to put them on the right path. This is the work of God in us, redeeming us, enabling us. This is what Jesus wants to do in us. You want an exciting life? Get on that path. Get on that path. Be known as somebody that the love of Christ is flowing through them. Be noticed, somebody, when they look at you, they're like, how can you love people that way? And you go, it's the Holy Spirit in me through Christ Jesus. There is no more exciting life than that. This is why people give away everything to run to their hurting. Because there's so much joy found in that, the love of Christ. So what keeps us back from this? As exciting as it is, people will die for this. People will give away everything for it. What's holding us back? 
It's often the battlefield. And where's the battlefield? We mentioned it earlier. The battlefield is in the mind, okay? The battlefield is in the mind, and this is what Paul is talking about. He says, letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. See, the battle is in our mind because this is the control center. Temptation happens in the mind as we walk through. Now, temptation isn't sin, right? We understand that. To be tempted is not sin. Jesus was tempted. And the Bible records it walking through. Temptation is not sin, but if we make room for it, it takes over and it leads to sin, which leads to death. This is why Satan tries to own our mind, tries to rule our mind, tries to put all these thoughts in there. But see, our mind was never meant to be controlled by Satan. Our mind was meant to be controlled by the Holy Spirit because we can't win this battle. Only the Holy Spirit can control that. Have you ever tried to control your mind? Have you ever had a thought there that you just couldn't get rid of? Right? It's almost like if somebody tells you not to do it, then you really want to do it. (laughs) We can't control our mind by ourselves. We were not meant to do that. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can win this battle because it's not a physical battle. It is a spiritual battle. See, when Jesus came to earth in human form, they kept wanting him to do these physical battles. Just go out and destroy them. And even Peter said, if you're not, he didn't, and it's so much worse, he pulled his sword when it came down to it. And what did Jesus say? Peter, put away your sword. This is not a physical battle. He's like, I have power. I could destroy all of this if I wanted to. But I'm after the Father's will. This is not a physical battle. This is a spiritual battle. And see, this is confusing But we need to recognize that Jesus is not preparing his disciples for this physical battle. It's a spiritual battle because the physical is going to die. This body someday is going to die. Isn't that encouraging? My hair is already dying, okay? Oh, there we go. I know. Now, in the 80s, man, I tell you, I had some hair in the 80s. This body is going to die. Why would I fight for something that's not going to be here forever? See, Jesus prepares us for the greater battle, the spiritual battle, because our souls last forever. How long? Forever. Forever. Okay, we know that. Forever. Here we go. It lasts forever. This is where Jesus prepares us for battle. It's a spiritual battle that's only possible through the Holy Spirit. See, trying to control the physical without addressing the spiritual is futile. If Jesus came and just tried to control our physical world, we would lose. Jesus went right to the source. He went right to our spirit. And Paul even says it here, to control our mind. See, if we just try to control the physical without addressing the spiritual, it's futile because it will repeat over and over and over again. Right? Because as soon as you take something away, there's a vacuum that forms that pulls it in. Right? Every addict knows this, and we're all addicted to something. (laughs) But if you just pull out something you want to get rid of and you put nothing there, it's just going to start sucking things in around it. Our soul was made to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Our mind was made to be controlled by the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. See, 2 Corinthians 10 says it this way. It says, we are human. 
but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. This is a work of the Holy Spirit alive in us. See, humanity has proven over and over again that it cannot control the mind. It always loses. Only the Spirit is strong enough. And as it relates to the sin, the sin is in us. So the Holy Spirit is in us, pushing it out, cleansing us. See, this is why in Acts 13 it says that we need to be continually filled. Because there's a battle raging. And how many know that when you're attacked, that you often lose your energy. You often lose stuff, right? I heard someone say one time that, man, I'm a leaky vessel, so i got to keep being filled. i got to keep being filled. The Lord is saying to us, make no room for sin in your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. Be continually filled. Because see, in declaring our freedom, the reason why Paul is emphasizing this work of the Holy Spirit is because whenever we stand accused, whenever we stand before a judge, what does the judge say? Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? What is the evidence in our life? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Our evidence is the Holy Spirit alive in us. In verse 9, Paul says, Those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all, because this is the evidence in us. See, it's having the evidence that sets us free. And see, our evidence as Christ's followers is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, because it's not just what we say, it's what we do, right? Faith without works is dead. There's an action that comes alive in us that when the Holy Spirit is in us, controlling our mind and controlling us and leading us, there's evidence in our life. That's why as it relates to hearing God, God speaks to us through his holy word, but he also speaks to us up here, doesn't he? How many of you have ever experienced that? And is that difficult? I think it's very difficult. Because there's a lot of competition in your head. Have you ever heard all these voices and you're going, God, just... Tell me, show me what to do. Is that you, God, speaking, or is that just some bad sushi I had last night? What is that? See, this is why there's this emphasis on being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible continually walks through and leads us into not allowing any filthy or corrupt language come from our mouth to have a covenant with our eyes out. Lord, I will not look at anything that defiles you. There's a purity of life, not because God is trying to to just come in and say, you can't do this, you can't do that, but he's saying, I'm alive to the full. You need to hear my voice. Don't let anything come before your eyes that offends the Spirit of God. Don't allow your mouth to say anything, and sometimes that's tough. I had a good friend who was was a Marine, and one of the toughest things for him to conquer in his life was cursing. Because if you've been in that environment, you know, you hear Jesus a lot, but it's not the same way that we talk about it, okay? It's a little bit different. And for him, it was trying to control it. Because the mouth is a sword, but it's saying, Holy Spirit, guide me. I want to hear your voice every second. Because how often do we need God's voice in our life? Always. Always. It's that being continually filled with his spirit. Leading us, enabling us, and guiding us. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is why Jesus said that you will do even greater things than I did. Because the Holy Spirit will come and enable you and equip you. 
See, when we look at Pentecost and we look at what that was, this was the beginning of the Christian church. Jesus said, now go and wait. And about 120 men and women went off and they waited. And he said, wait until the power of the Holy Spirit comes. It is an empowerment. It is an empowerment that happens. And the book of Acts says that they spoke with other tongues. And they were empowered. And then Peter got up and he preached. And over 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. And the gospel went out. It is an empowerment for boldness. It is an empowerment for boldness. We've heard prayers all day about Pentecost Sunday. How, Lord, come in, change us today, fill us today, renew us today, but let it go out from this place. See, the power of the Holy Spirit is not just about what happens here. And I'm here to tell you that 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 was part of my hang-up as a kid. How many of you have ever had hang-up as it relates to the Holy Spirit? I have. I grew up in a wonderful church, godly people, righteous people. But I had a very difficult time, and I say this very respectfully, so please hear my heart in this. I had a very hard time when I would see people talk about being filled with the Spirit, and I would see evidence of it in here, but I would see nothing out there. And I would walk through those doors, and I'd see meanness done to to my friends who didn't know Christ. That brought me to a dividing road as a young man where I was ready to leave the church, leave God, leave everybody because I saw that and it didn't make sense. But when there's a genuine move of the Holy Spirit in your life, a genuine move, it's not manufactured, it's not worked up, it is a genuine empowerment You watch what the Lord will do in your life here as well as out there. When you have a thought that's not pleasing to the Lord, the Holy Spirit will convict you, not to destroy you, but to build you up. When you don't know how you should pray, the Holy Spirit will guide you in praying because there's power in speaking it out, isn't it? Just like there's power when a child comes up to tell your son, your daughter, your niece, your nephew, I love you. We would never say, well, of course you know I love you. Stop asking. There's power that comes in saying, I love you. I care about you. And then having the actions that fall up that I'm there. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. The Holy Spirit gives us discernment that when we walk into situations, to not be fooled by what we see, but to see what's going on in the spirit world. This is where the battle happens. When Jesus spoke to his, his disciples, they were followers of Christ. His spirit was in them already. But he said, I want you to go wait. There's an empowerment that's going to come. There's an empowerment that goes, that's going to come because you're struggling. <laughs> when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come and it's going to empower you for my works. You will do greater things than me. Think about all the great things that Jesus did. He said, this is just a taste. This is just the beginning. In my life, I'm praying, Lord, empower me. And so I had all that going on, and we had this um, evangelist come through. And it was for this youth convention, and uh, I, I had a Christian rock band back in the day. Um, any Petra fans? We did all their songs. Did some white heart, did some things. But as I was following, I was in this conflict, wanting to follow Christ, knowing I needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because I was being tempted in a lot of ways. And this evangelist just gave this, um, this wonderful African brother, he gave this 
this, this appeal to come forward, and I was scared because I had some bad ideas in my head, right? Talk about the battles in the mind. I had all these bad ideas in my head, and I was scared. And a friend of mine looked to me. Now, here's the miracle of God, because he was struggling too. He wasn't walking with God perfect. And it's a lesson that you don't have to be perfect for God to use you. You need to be submitted, and he'll perfect his work in you as you walk it out. So walking this out, my friend looks at me and says, Dwayne, do you want to go forward? I'm like, yeah, I do. He said, what's stopping you? I'm like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I said, I don't want to walk up and have nothing happen. I was afraid that God would reject me. Have you ever felt that before? Right? I had guilt down. I knew guilt. And he looked at me and he said, well, why would God do that? Why would God reject you? See, every time that we go to the Lord, he's faithful to do it. Now, it may not look the way that we have in our mind because our mind's being regenerated, it's being renewed. But every time that we go to the Lord, he wants to empower you. He wants to equip you. But we need to be willing to surrender and to experience the power of God that only comes from surrender. He's the God Almighty. Romans 1 said he's revealed himself. This is the divine, the author of life. Who am I to think that I can come to him without surrendering? I don't want to do it on my own. I will lose every time. And so I went forward. And I can still see his face. This, this man, because I've, I've seen a lot of different things, but this man was just, just looking at me. He's, he's like, you're scared. I said, yeah, I'm scared. And I told him why. He's like, you know. I believe the Lord wants to move into your life and empower you for his mission. And we've all seen things that happen at that point, things that happen, and I was going, you know what, I don't want to, <laughs> Lord, I don't want this just to be something. I'm not, I don't even want to say everything's going on in my head because there's a lot going on in my head. But I just went, Lord, whatever you have, that's what I want. And he just, he, he prayed a very simple prayer, Lord, Fill him with your Holy Spirit. And all I know is that it was two hours later, I was still praying. It's praying in the Spirit. And I know this is confusing for some. For some of you, it's very encouraging. For some of you, you're like, what, what is that? But I was praying in the Spirit, and the Lord was speaking to me in that moment. And he was equipping me for what he had. Very gentle, but power. This is the Holy Spirit, you know. He it was, it was gentle, but all-powerful. My life was different from that point on. Did I make mistakes after that? Yes, I did. But every time I got down, the Holy Spirit empowered me to get back up. I'd go over here, Dwayne, that's not for you. You need to come back. I'd watch something over here, Dwayne, that's not for you. Run out of that room. All throughout. It's been like this. It's an empowerment and equipping of the Holy Spirit. And it's a work that the Lord is still doing in my life. And so I want to encourage you today on this Pentecost Sunday, as we move forward, I believe the Lord is preparing us. And he's equipping us, but we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. And as we respond today to the voice of the Lord, 
I just want you to, to lift, lift your eyes to the Lord and say, Lord, what would you speak to me today? There are two key questions in every disciple's life. What is God speaking? And how are you going to respond? And as we take some time to respond today, I'd like to invite our prayer teams just to spread out, just to go out. And, and as you ask those questions, if you want to pray with someone, these are wonderful people, and say, you know what, I want the Spirit's power in me. Again, when we give our life to Christ, His Spirit fills us, but this is an empowerment for mission. This is how the book of Acts explains it. It's an empowerment for mission. If you want to walk with the Lord in that way, I want you to step out and just pray with these people. Have a conversation with these people. Lord, whatever you have, I want to receive it. Renew my mind, Lord. Cleanse it of old paradigms, bad paradigms. And speak to me today. Speak to me today. But listen to the Lord. This, this is between you and the Lord. God, what are you asking me to do? And now how am I going to respond? And as always, we have communion set up. The body that represents his body that was broken to reconcile. This is not a figurative or an allegorical thing. This is a real thing. His body was broken for you. He became the price. He became the lamb that was slain. His body represents that brokenness. So when we receive that, we are identifying with Christ. We're receiving his forgiveness. We're receiving that power. And his blood that was spilt for us, his blood that washes away our sin. You have sin in your life that needs to be forgiven. This is a regular part of every believer going to the Lord saying, Lord, forgive me, strengthen me, purify me. Step by step, step by step. Let's respond to the voice of the Lord today. Would you all stand together today? Lord, as we walk out today, Lord, I pray that we would not let any voice of the enemy to come in to distract us, but this is a holy moment. This is a deciding moment for many of us. May we step out and pray and receive what you have for us, oh God. May we receive it, Lord. <laughs> you are a kind and loving and gracious God. Lord, purify us here. Do your work in us here, I pray, as we step out, as we take a step in following your plan and your will for our life, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.